0: Welcome back to Intrepid Healthcare. I'm your host, Joe Lavelle, really excited about our discussion today with the CEO of a company whose unique perspective was formed at the intersection between healthcare and policy. We're going to get right to it. Today, we're joined by Anita Samarth, CEO of Clinovation's Government Solutions. Anita is also a former, a friend and a former colleague. Welcome to the show, Anita.
1: Thank you, Joe. I'm excited to be here.
0: Awesome. Thanks for making the time. Before we get into our discussion today, take a few seconds and inform our audience about you and your background.
1: Okay. Thanks, Joe. Uh, I've been working in healthcare IT specifically for 20 years now, Uh, started my career at a number of big four and consulting firms, including the one that Joe and I worked at, ran clinical consulting at uh, GE for their inpatient product for a bit. And uh, being based out of the D.C. area um, for this entire time, I noticed that there was a real need and lack of expertise from on-the-ground health IT experience in hospitals, health systems across the country, informing the work that was happening at the federal level. So about almost 10 years ago, I had a shift in focus uh, uh, bringing that on the ground real world expertise to the public sector, and then also found that even the commercial sector, with all the work that was happening in the government and policy space, needed some assistance and guidance on how to navigate everything and all the changes. So um, now I'm finding myself focusing both working with government and public sector organizations and uh, commercial healthcare organizations, really helping bridge the gap.
0: Perfect. Can you give us a ten thousand foot overview of Clinovations Government Solutions?
1: Sure. Um, our our history, uh, we're actually just over five, six years old now. Um, our history and origins are uh, Turner and Williams and I formed a networking col- learning collaborative back in 2007, uh, and at the time that was titled Clonovations, and it was just this informal way to bring together uh clinical policy, technical leaders in the D.C. metro area together to share information and bring together like-minded people. And that continued to evolve and grow and got went from very informal to more formal. And at the urging of those members, we actually uh, formed Clinovations in October of 2008. And shortly thereafter, uh, about in February of 2009, we formed what's now Clenovation's Government Solutions and uh, focused on uh, the intersection of uh, policy and practice. So, uh, we, you know, we are, we, it was a great opportunity for us to uh, take our backgrounds and really focus on uh, bringing that to the D.C. area and D.C. marketplace. And, and now, um, five years later, six, six years later, we have clients all across the country, across uh, a number of sectors.
0: It just sounds fascinating. Something we haven't covered on our show. Um, tell us maybe uh, a, a sample client and the type of work you're doing. What um, you know, what what work is done at that intersection between uh, policy and healthcare?
1: Sure. Um, and uh, you know, I, I always say that, um, our interest is in all of these lines and intersections. So I always put government and health together on a foundation of technology. So if you kind of imagine that in a line, a line between government and health and foundation of technology, if you're just focusing on the line, it sort of um, explains what we do. So uh, a great example is the work that we've done in supporting NIST and ONC and CMS in the development of their certification and test methods. Um, We were specifically engaged as the 2011 – the first round of certification was the 2011 certification program. And then when they moved to development for the 2014 certification program, obviously the level of rigor and the level of expectation and sophistication had increased uh, by intention from 2011 to 2014. And uh, we were able to provide our experience of having worked with real-world EMRs, um, implemented them in real life, and our experience implementing meaningful use for Stage 1 as you started to think about Stage 2. So when you're developing test data, you're developing test case scenarios, you know, we were able to come to the table with the government and say, look, I know this is what the policy says, but if we don't test it or if we don't have language that ensures that uh, there's more specificity or um, make sure that we have clarity, here's how these uh, items are being done today. So, um, it, I could probably go into, you know, there are some real specific examples that, that, uh, you know, where, where they started out versus ended up, um, were quite different. But, by being in the weeds of this testing and test procedure work, um, on the flip side, after we completed that work, you know, going back to our commercial healthcare organizations and clients who are maybe having some challenges with their vendor products and meeting meaningful use, um, you know, we had a client who has implemented one of the very large uh, enterprise vendors, and they were really surprised that they weren't meeting their measures. And you know, when we started diving into understanding of the product and how that product was calculating the measure, we knew that there was a problem because we looked at their workflows. We looked at, we knew the understanding of what the measure requires to be calculated. Um, so then we were able to work with the healthcare organization and um, the large vendor to really identify that there are different ways to calculate some of these measures. And so we, in that particular project, we developed um, custom reports um, to calculate those measures, which are well within the confines of the regulations, but it's not something that was there out of the box. So that's something that um, I think unless you have your pulse on both sides of the equation, on the policy side, where you really understand what the products and the, the intent is and the measure specifications are, and then also understand how individual products are working. Um, Having knowledge of both of those enables us to, like I said, inform the government as well as work with uh, the private sector to implement the intent.
0: I can tell you personally, as someone who is working for a provider, I would have loved to have access to that, uh, both sides of that information, because um, even if you got your questions and posted them in the right place, Um, not having the experts that created the rules um, when you were trying to create this data and make implement EHRs and uh, make all the workflow changes that were required uh, to be made to meet the measures uh, was as much as any provider organization could really handle. So um, I bet it was just way more fun for you guys to be on both sides of that uh, stable or that... um, both sides of the uh, delivery system of creating the rules and then helping people understand them and meet them.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it was fun. I mean, to, to have a seat at the table to, you know, how are we going to test these rules um, versus how have they actually been implemented in real-world products. Um, you know, uh, uh, yeah, one, I, I was thinking on the earlier question of specific examples, but the, the easy one that comes to mind now are, you know, a lot of times for stage one you were able to use Uh, ICD data for um, diagnosis and uh, a lot of that data is typically done by coding interfaces or typically done in separate systems and then that data is often interfaced back to a EHR and uh, if you're not aware of when the EHR vendor runs their reports to extract data out of the transactional system into their data warehouse or reporting database to populate those meaningful use reports you're not going to get that data And if you think about things like chart completion and how long it takes for a chart to get completed and coded, there's, you know, three weeks, maybe even more of a delay before that um, ICD-9 value comes in back into the EHR. And by then, you've already completed the note. You've already closed out the patient. They've been discharged. And uh, the data's already gone to populate the reporting engine. So that's an example of something that was specific to meaningful use at one of our clients. But... Uh, you know, it's not unique to Meaningful Use. It really sheds light to a lot of challenges in quality reporting and data.
0: Exactly. It seems like um, you probably had uh, visibility over over several clients to understand what the really big challenges both with Meaningful Use Stage 1 and Stage 2. So I guess I have a two-part question. What were the big challenges with MU1, and what are people struggling now with MU2?
1: Yeah, you know, with, with MU one I mean, my initial inclination, I think, on a lot of provider organizations, when they first looked at the measures, they said, no big deal, this is easy for us. I mean, at least for those organizations that you and I have typically worked with that are fairly sophisticated. I mean, the the, um, the requirements are fairly basic. Um, but I think in, with um, those types of organizations really struggled with, just getting the reporting going. So the, the types of organizations that had challenges is if you are, you know, you have a thousand providers, you've got hundreds of providers, and you're trying to think it was just more the mechanics and logistics of managing measure, um, you know, calculating all your data, pulling your data, saving your data, and then entering it into CMS and making sure that you've kept all your artifacts to support an audit. Um, and you have different providers at different locations that, um, you know, different stages of meeting the goal. So you've got to kind of track every 90-day window. After the first year, you had some people in the second year of um, reporting, so they've got a year-long reporting period. And then you have certain measures that require, um, you know, certain reports or screenshots to be done during your reporting period. So I think the large health systems just um, had to deal with the management burden. Um, I don't think that they were too... Uh, um, struck by, you know, the intent of the measures, and like I said, the example I gave with that ICD-9 uh, diagnosis, I mean, in stage one, they may be struggled with, what's my vendor providing out of the box for the report, and does or does not, does my vendor give me a way to map that to my workflow and where I collect the data? So those are, those are kind of the biggest challenges, I think. Um, with meaning use stage one. I will add a side caveat. A lot of the work I do is in underserved communities and underserved populations, particularly here in the District of Columbia, and you know completely different issues with stage one um, there, where you're really taking practices that have really been on paper, don't even have connectivity, um, don't have a lot of savviness in terms of under uh, not not as providers, but in terms of health IT because they haven't, um, they're not exposed nor have access to personnel or expertise that has um, EHR selection implementation expertise. So nice. I just saw so many providers that provide care for, you know, our, our most needy community and many of these things, solo practitioners that either had signed multi-year contracts with EHRs that just were not going to be able to sustain them or, you know, really were implemented and, you know, they were long gone and they were nowhere uh, implemented workflows that can help them get to meaningful use. So that's stage one. Um, for stage two, uh, there were just many more interoperability and exchange requirements, and they were just new. So the, uh, the need to be able to, in the ambulatory environment, um, you know, we really had some organizations sometimes struggle with um, just providing electronic copies of information and for creating the Clinical con, uh, Continuity of Care uh, document, the, the CCDA uh, making sure that the data, the CCDAs were actually populated and populated with the right information that you had implemented that within workflows. Um, working with, uh, immunization registries and other organizations to test the interoperability exchange of information. Um, that, that was something that, uh, a lot of our clients struggled with just depending on the state that you're in and whether their state was sophisticated. Um, or far enough along in the, their processes and abilities to connect with provider organizations, um, that caused a little bit of a challenge. And then lastly, I will say for organizations that really wanted to provide a unified patient experience, I mean, stage two is where we were, um, the, the intent was to really raise the bar in terms of engaging with patients by providing them access to electronic information. Yeah, you know, the portal rollout, I wouldn't have thought that it would have been such a challenge, but it really did end up being, um, you know, it's just a new line of work. You've got to train a different type of workforce to educate patients, uh, whether it be on registration or discharge. So it reminds me a little bit of the measurement and management burden of stage one. You know, you now have a completely different function that you're adding to provider organizations to ensure that they're Rolling out and providing the patient with their portal information and um, that, uh, that, that that's happening at the right times because you that, that measure is something that is, is fairly time boxed and lastly you know, it's not uncommon for many organizations across the country to have a different ambulatory and inpatient EHR not everyone's on epic um, we found that, uh, you know, organizations really struggled because if you have in, a different inpatient and ambulatory product and uh, you've got to meet these patient engagement measures and roll out portals, you, you could find yourself rolling out a different portal for your patient, for your inpatient ambulatory environment. So um, some ha- were really, uh, this kick-started their HIE strategy. Um, the HIE portals may or may not really support meaningful use, some organizations develop their own custom work. We actually have helped some organizations actually develop their um, custom portals um, and use the different uh, and implement the different interoperability requirements or others are you know going to third party vendor portals that uh, are really taking a long time um, to be able to connect and retrieve documents out of inpatient and ambulatory EHRs using the standards that are part of meaningful use stage two so so, I think you know even with the delays um it, there was still a timing challenge for both vendors and provider organizations just it, it's just a lot it's just it, with all the different initiatives, I think they're just overburdened and uh I said a lot there, but I think the last piece I'll comment on in terms of the burden of vendors um, you know they just haven't had the time um to really. Uh, implement it, test it out, get client feedback, and optimize it. Because certification, and I mean, if we set a minimum bar, it really is supposed to be the floor, not the goal. Yet, you know, there's competitive advantages issues, there's client expectations. They really had to get to market pretty fast. So I think we've missed a little bit of an opportunity um, to have, you know, pilots and refinements um, because the intent is right. I think everyone buys into it. It's just, uh, you know, provider organizations are really faced with whether the vendors are in a good place to implement these additional, you know, additional advanced capabilities to support stage two.
0: You mentioned HIEs. I'm interested in the, maybe some of the work you've done with HIEs. Um, is there going to be a sustainable model going forward? And what about the places that have never uh, been successful getting an HIE up and going?
1: You know, uh, they, I, we have. Uh, I have worked with a number of HIEs, and our team uh, has really seen. You know, we've seen some come up from start to fruition and be successful, and we've we've seen a number of them close. And uh, we also worked with uh, the federal government when uh, ONC had had provided funding for um, HIEs countrywide. So, so you know, thinking through that view, um, we. We do see those organizations, I mean, the example I gave previously, where we have different inpatient ambulatory products, and um, as we're seeing more and more health systems starting to acquire um, other hospitals and cl- ambulatory clinics, they really do rely upon an HIE platform to integrate those different organizations into their ecosystem. So there's a, there's a need, and the HIE costs support uh, a business need for those organizations. So we we saw over the last couple of years a big uptick in organizational HIE implementation, um, which of course then, you know, uh, modifies the priorities for some of those organizations to participate at a state level. Um, so we've seen a lot of state efforts, particularly in large states with multiple maybe metropolitan centers. Um, the role of a state or centralized, uh, you know, state-level function, even if it's from another organization, really changed where they're one more of convenience, uh, convening and governance, um, you know, focusing maybe on things like record locator, you know, provider directory. Um, obviously, um, with meaningful use stage uh, two and, you uh, Many of the uh, organizations have had to have direct capabilities, so that's something we saw at a state level. So we saw a lot of centralized activities really focus on what they were going to provide in terms of infrastructure rather than try to be, you know, a centralized HIE for a region. And in terms of – so I I do think that we're still working through the evolving models of, um, you know, ROI for HIE capabilities, but – um, you know, D.C. is a great example where we've been through multiple HIE efforts, and they've been funded through me- various mechanisms. But now we're actually starting to see some real value delivered by the various HIEs that we're participating in. The organizations in this town, because we, you know, have patients that go across borders between D.C. and New Maryland and Virginia, um, you're dealing with interstate issues as well as, you know, the fact that you have many organizations and many health systems where patients are seen all across. Um, but I think now we're at the right time because organizations have electronic information, use Stage 1 and Stage 2 has given a foundation for organizations to understand reporting and exchange of information. So now they're kind of at a point where they can participate in exchange or actually have the capacity to use information that's available via HIE. And obviously many organizations are participating with payers in, you know, pay-for-performance or value-based purchasing agreements. So that's really started to uh, change um, the need of these organizations that I think just didn't have the capacity and weren't ready to um, take on the value of HIE, and I do see that changing.
0: Wow, thank you so much for that. Anita, I hate to say it, we're about out of time. Before I let you go, how can people contact you and learn more about Clinovation's Government Solutions?
1: Uh, Great. Yeah, they can uh, go to our website, which is www.govhealth.com. And uh, if they want to contact me directly, they can just email me at anita at govhealth.com.
0: Great. That was Anita Samarth, CEO of Clinovations Government Solutions. Anita, it's so great to have you. Thanks for stopping by and sharing all your great insight.
1: Thanks so much. It was a pleasure.
0: All right. That wraps our broadcast. On behalf of our guest, Anita Samarth. I'm Joe Lavelle and we'll see you soon on Intrepid Healthcare. What you want you want? What you want you want.